a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. I don't know why the pause. <laughs> dramatic, dramatic effect. Yeah. I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. We're a little bit early, but a movie is coming out from Blumhouse that I will probably see, whether it's against my better judgment or not, called Imaginary. So, hey... One of the ideas you see we everything had a while. Anyway. I do, I do. I kind of feel <laughs> duty bound to do so. I did see Night Swim. Um, that was a movie. It was um, a movie yeah. I saw, uh, and we are going to cover today a couple of more classic imaginary friend movies from different eras. So, mm -hmm. yeah, which is fun. I, I like it when we are able to, when it works out that we have an old one and a new one. It's fun. So in this case, my pick is from 1950. And it's sort of, again, I feel like I do this a lot, sort of the quintessential <laughs> example of this topic from 1950. But there aren't many. There aren't that many. No, it's Harvey from yeah. 1950 starring of course jimmy stewart and directed by henry coster and then mine is a childhood classic favorite drop dead fred from 1991 which i saw first time watch for brian first yeah. time yes so just like our last episode the gray was a first time watch for me but like fargo i've seen harvey many many times this is one of those movies I watched a lot in college. And there's a reason for that, because oh, yeah. uh, I had a choir director in my college years, and he brought up this movie right at the very end of my freshman year, where he said, you know, there's a... He, he liked to give, like, inspirational things, he would say, you know. And he talked about how meaningful the year had been to him and everything and he said there's a line from a movie from way back called harvey that i really love and he said in this world you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant and for years i was smart but i recommend pleasant and then he said something along the lines of and all of you seem you have chosen, made that correct choice. You have all been very pleasant 
and very wonderful, and it was a very sweet thing. And so, oh, that was very sweet. I like that. Yeah, it was very <laughs> moving, and for me, you know, twenty plus years later to be remembering that still actually it would have been more like 25 years ago or more now yeah i'm old um we <laughs> so the it was it was for me to still remember it all these many years later uh, so harvey became sort of like a I saw it not long after that, and it's like, wow, this is great. I really, really like this movie, and I would watch. I got it on video cassette at the time, and watched it a fair amount. And um, it's one that I've introduced to my wife, and she enjoyed it quite a bit herself. And so, it's one that's become pretty special to me over the years. I only saw it for the first time. A couple of years ago, <laughs> maybe yeah. like one or two years ago, is one of those ones that I uh, I picked up from my magical library that has everything. That I haven't been there in a while. I need to go back. No. Um, but yeah, of course, I've always heard the story of Harvey and the you know six foot rabbit and everything. Um, but I finally seeing the movie um, and watching it again. It's just, it's so sweet. <laughs> it really is. I just, it just gave me such a nice warm feeling that I really needed after this week. So this is a very sweet movie with a beautiful message. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got to admit, there's sort of like some things where I, I really have to wrestle with some of the underlying darkness of all mm. of this that's going on too, because there is this... Uh, since it's Jimmy Stewart's character of Elwood P. Dowd. Yes, he's a very wonderful man. He's magnetic. People are drawn to him. He seeks out people and, you know, encourages them and sort of plays matchmaker in various ways and does all these really sort of wonderful things, but he's also shirking all of his responsibilities. He's a drunk. Uh, I mean, he's... There's... There's some underlying things going on sure. here, and I, I think there was actually, which was actually one of the criticisms of uh, Jimmy Stewart's performance in this this version, that apparently in later years he brought a little bit more of that conflict into his performances of it on stage because he continued to play the part on stage, and there's also I think a TV version of it that was filmed in the 70s essentially where he's you know just doing the same movie but i mean it's it's shorter and it's a, a different kind of thing than this one is but so um but there's i think a lot going on here and mm-hmm. ultimately i mean just your introduction of him right at the beginning he walks out the door and meets <laughs> the postman and the he hands him a letter and he turns up and looks at <laughs> nothing and and says what a nice man and he tears up the letter tears up the letter <laughs> doesn't even look at it yeah i i find that you know just sort of an, a wonderful sort of setup to the character of elwood when he's in the bar i mean he's meeting mr meagles and everything right at the beginning there you see sort of that compassionate side to him though i think that it's more than just you know he's a deadbeat or something like that it's <laughs> There, there seems to be a reason behind it. He just sort of like was ground down perhaps by the machinery of that life. You know, saying that line for years, I was smart. I recommend yeah. pleasant. Whatever uh, he was doing before yeah. he started doing what he is now, which seems like nothing. But to me, it's 
it's kind of a lot what he's doing definitely more meaningful yeah um, there's a purpose and I, I like what i always just love about classic film anyway for one i mean again another one of my favorite kinds of movies based on a play so um i love this kind of thing too because it's very much reminiscent to me of something like even arsenic and old lace which one of the Mm -hmm. actresses from that movie is in this one where it's all about timing yeah and stuff is just like my absolute favorite thing is watching people like say lines one character goes out another one immediately like comes in and Mm -hmm. i love all that stuff the um, choreography between yes. Myrtle and Vita and <laughs> yes. the, the server the, the that keeps judge. on coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Or later on with the judge and with uh-huh. the doctor and Chumley comes over and everything. And just like the the quickness with some of the lines that you might kind of miss what they're talking about at first. Like here with Mr. Miggles when he says he's he was away doing a job for the state for a while. He's making license plates. And then yeah. you have to think about it for I a second. I helped him build like, a road. Oh. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, he was in jail. I got it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I love that kind of stuff. That's what makes me, this gives me a lot of joy. As usual, it's classic films. And mostly the writing and the dialogue is uh, fun to listen to yeah and, and you know of course Vita and, and Myrtle May Josephine Hall is such a terrific actress uh, well they, they're both really great in this mm-hmm. and and I this whole idea of them just sort of being embarrassed it's like yeah. what a wonderful feeling to have your relative out of the house before the company comes <laughs> um, lots of great it's like waiting for him there. to leave yeah yeah, um, and it's like his pal, his pal Harvey. Uh, of course, you know, don't you say his name. I love the scene with the, like at the party when they're listening to the singer, and mm-hmm. she starts going hop 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 hip. I know, <laughs> and, and they're just like, oh god, no. <laughs> the, the look on Josephine Hall's face is hysterical. She's good at that stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's just got one of those great expressing faces. Yes. It's very, it's it's very, it's stage trained, clearly. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in this. But, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel particularly overblown or something like that to me. I, I really, um, I love all that. So, I mean, I, I'm not crazy about necessarily going through plot and everything mm-hmm. but there there are certain things that i really like you know with this opening section of the movie because it's sort of cut into okay you've got this opening scene where you have uh vita and, and myrtle and the party and then you know elwood coming back home you you see him out but also him coming back home and then there's the Next big sequences at the the rest home, the psychiatric uh, institution, and then there's a next section where they're like in the bar and the alley behind the bar, and then it ends in the institution again. Um, so it's like the big four sections of it. Now this first section has so much funny business too, like um, Aunt Ethel. What's her name? And, yeah, Aunt Ethel, where, where she says, oh, I thought you were dead to everybody. <laughs> I, I think it's so funny. I love that. It's like, oh, Vita Louise Simmons, I thought you were dead. I mean, that's her greeting. <laughs> it's so funny. 
Um, I think she wants to congratulate us on the impression we made at her party. I like that right. line from, <laughs> from Hell Wedding's Doc and Darby. Right. Because the, the, also the setup in this first section is, you know, the setup of the story is like yeah. that they have this. Um, it's Vita's brother and Myrtle May's uncle, right? Yeah. It's Elwood. Yeah. Uh, he's basically an embarrassment to them around town, which that's a kind of a hard thing to uh, to wrestle with, too, because people love him, but they're also like they obviously think he's weird. Yeah. But he's crazy really crazy. Yeah. Yes. But he's like probably the nicest guy in town. Too. Right. So there is a very interesting way that this movie deals with mental health and the way that it's yeah. perceived the way that it's quote unquote treated um, mm-hmm. in later on in, in the movie too. So they want to, they want to commit him to Chumley's, it's called Chumley's rest. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, that's how, that was always the, um, the euphemism back then wasn't there. Like, right. Send them someplace. <laughs> someplace. For a, re- yeah. for a rest. <laughs> yeah. When it was really to put them into a mental hospital. And he's just so, people pleasing and like wanting everybody to like be happy and have a good time all the time. He's like willing to go along with it. He doesn't really seem to see like what's going on. But so, or maybe he does. And it's just, I don't know. You can't really tell with that character. If he actually like knows like what they're trying to do. If he fully understands it. That's what I was kind of wondering. Or if he's just being, or if he's like totally aware and he's just like using his charm that he's learned or the, just this new outlook on life that he's got to um, kind of ch- charm them into a different way of thinking. Well, I mean, even in the last section when uh, Sanders, Dr. Sanderson tells him, um, you know, about the serum and stuff like that, that'll mm-hmm. help him to, you won't see Harvey anymore. Harvey, of course, the giant white rabbit that Elwood sees, but no mm-hmm. one else can. It says it'll help you remember your responsibilities. I don't think he's forgotten his responsibilities. I think he's just choosing to ignore yeah, them. I, I I really get that impression um, at various points in this movie. He's just like, I don't, I, that life I was living was destroying me and I don't want to particularly do that anymore. He's got money because he, uh, it was left to him. <laughs> That's another funny line says, it's like I. Th- it's like why did, why did she, she leave him all his money anyways? It's, well, I think it's because she died in his arms. People are sentimental about that about sort of thing. thing. It's like yeah. you always say that, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's very funny. But it's, in that way, though, you kind of understand maybe where he's coming from. Like getting tired with just like the grind you know like yeah. always just having to do what you want to do and never getting to always having to do just what you have to do yeah you know work pay bills blah 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 and yeah. not actually feeling like you're making any kind of difference in the world and the thing is this this movie i think a little bit like uh, one foot of the cuckoo's nest is asking what is truly insane you know mm-hmm. is is it to be helpful to people and loving and caring but you see a giant white rabbit Mm 
Or is it to be a nasty asshole and grind yourself to death on the corporate wheel? Exactly. You know, and, and that's how it goes. I mean, that even when the cab driver says, you know, at the very end, or he says, um, they go in there uh, happy and everything like they come out. After this, he'll be a perfectly normal human being, and you know what stinkers they are. Yeah. I, I, that's the point of the movie. I mean, Pretty much right, that scene. Summed up that theme. But I think that, you know, they never really say what Elwood's previous life was. Yeah. You know, um, but one of the darker sides of it is he is an alcoholic, and he's has mental health problems. So there is sort of a tension going on in this. That is fascinating. I think that's what makes the movie better than just being, oh, isn't it nice? Everything's nice and everything's cool. And, you know, there's, <laughs> right. there's, you know what I mean? There's, there is yeah. something underlying it, even though it is a very pleasant movie to watch and a very, maybe um, I just choose charming, to see. warm <laughs> film. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, you can, I just, I yeah. choose to see that part of it mostly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Elwood's alcoholism is one of the things that I think is kind of glossed over though. And I don't really know how to deal with it. I mean, was it just not that big of a deal in 1950? Or, but you never really see him drinking a lot. That's what. Either. That's what's hard for me to yeah really have a problem with. That it's like it's always what everybody else says that's about true. him, and it's like right. I don't. Yeah, we hear him like he goes to the bar every day, but he has kind of a mission. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And he does talk about, like, he does talk about drinking a lot. But, I mean, again, that could just be of the, that's how I kind of, that's my kind of my impression that I have of the time is that you have a couple of martinis every day right. after work or something, you know? I don't know. I just, I don't, li- I don't drink at all. So I don't have that kind of, I, I just don't have that in my life. I don't know what's right. really normal or not. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting because they do show him like hiding the bottle behind the book, for example, in the library at home. He's got a bottle of whiskey hiding behind Sense and Sensibility, and um, but he doesn't drink out of it. They don't show him drinking the martinis, so it's not necessarily that Harvey is like he's seeing this because he's a drunk, you know? Yeah. Um, I never got that impression either. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting aspect to the movie that I'm, I don't know. I always kind of wonder about what it all is. Is it sort of like no one will believe your, no one will believe your story because you know, you're always spending your time out in the bars and the tavern, those filthy bars and taverns, you know, like Vita says. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, he's, going and he's just making friends is a big part of it and he's making friends with people who no one makes friends with yes and i think there's sort of like a sorry a jesus quality to that there's a he's going to those in need and actually living in a way that is positively affecting the lives of these outcasts uh that i think is really effective and moving he seems to do that with every person he meets, though. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's Sanderson and Kelly, uh, the, you know, the doctor and the nurse, Dr. Chumley, for sure. Um, the people who would even sort of 
I guess, harm him or, or make mm-hmm. him have him stop, you know, doing this thing that he does. Uh, it's, it's just sort of a interesting part, you know, and the story in the alley behind the bar where he's mm-hmm. talking to, to, to the two Sanderson and Kelly and saying about how he doesn't really dance anymore. I think it's kind of funny, the showing him the varsity rag and things, but then he says, you know, I would one day I, I saw the, the, <laughs> how we met Harvey, yeah. you know, I saw the big old white rabbit, uh, leaning against the lamppost. But yeah. the whole idea of, I would come to the bar and I would just listen and everyone would have these big, they would see me and Harvey and they would have these big things, these big dreams, these big things they never got to do because no one ever brings anything brings small, small and, into, into a, bar. a bar. I love that line. It's a beautiful line. And then he talks about it. And then I show them the biggest you know, the biggest thing of all, which is this Harvey Harvey. Yeah. And sometimes they would come back, but usually they won't, which is an interesting line, too. And I don't know. I, I just find it just a beautiful. It's like this again, that purpose, that that meaning in life that he didn't really have in whatever <laughs> life he was having before this. And now he's giving it to everybody else. That's right. what that's what I see. That's what I really loved about this. I mean, Skipping all the way to the end, <laughs> but right, like, which is which is scene. fine. I think I like this pr- approach where we're yeah, just kind of talking about these things. The the scene with the the cab driver is what the whole movie is about to me, mm-hmm. and like what his whole character is. People want to be seen. People want to be heard. Yes, that's what he gives to people. He actually he takes the time to stop and and talk to this guy. That uh, Vita was just like, oh, that's. He just wants money. Get out. He's being so rude and mean. And Elwood comes in and he's like, well, what's up? How long you been a cab driver? Like, what's what's it like? You want to come over for dinner sometime? And it's not anything. It never feels insincere. He just always he gives people a chance to, to be seen and to be heard and to not. Yeah, just not feel like an outcast or not feel like. That they're nothing in the world just because they're, he's just a cab driver or anything. You know, that his life right. has meaning because he is probably just as much of an interesting person as anybody else if you actually just took the time to talk to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what Elwood does. And yeah. that's what I love about this. Because, yeah, uh, why, why would you want to take a guy like that uh, away from the world by... You know, giving him a, a shot that's gonna make him just be like everybody else, and not right. and be so selfish, and not do the things that he he makes it a mission. Like that's his mission when he goes to the bar is to go find these people and give them meaning and give them purpose just by talking to them. And exactly, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And I really do. Yeah, and we need more people like that in the world. And there's an argument you could make with this movie, with the evidence that we have in the movie itself, that Harvey is Harvey real. Is real, yes. And I, <laughs> I kind of love that about it um, because for, for I wasn't sure how I felt about that at first. I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> because I mean, you see, like the doors open, for example, yeah. um, 
in that one part. And then Wilson, the orderly, reading the dictionary, looking up the word puka, because uh, that's the word that Elwood I love how Jimmy Stewart says, says that. He's a puka. He's a puka. He's a puka. <laughs> a puka. You know, uh, Mrs. Chumley is a little small role, but I kind of love yes. the way she, the way she interacts with him is really lovely, actually. Again, because he just talks to her, yeah, <laughs> and they just have a lovely conversation. Two people that you know just take the time out of their day to have a lovely conversation with each other. That's that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> why why does he always want to invite strangers for dinner? Like, I, I, <laughs> <was> that... <laughs> well, I mean, that it's again that, I, me, that I idea guess. of you know you welcome. <laughs> welcome someone into your home i mean it's yeah it's again i guess that the the christ-like attitude in the sense of you know visiting the sick and the imprisoned Mm -hmm. and the that kind of idea is brought into this character really thoroughly and and I, I made the comparison to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You have that same kind of thing mm-hmm. in, you know, Jack Nicholson's character in that movie. Though there, there's definitely Even darkness we talked underlying about that. My, that and we talked yeah. about that as well. <laughs> Might um, not be as, I think this is a better Yeah, this of is that more of an allegory of it, I think. Yeah, more of a direct allegory, I guess. But it's not, it's not allegory in the sense that it's like cheap, this is that. You know what I mean? But there are aspects of that idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if you say you you follow the teachings of Jesus or whatever, this is what that looks like. You know, it's like <laughs> right. for goodness' sake, right? Uh, you know I that that, yeah. that kind of idea. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna try not to hammer that too much. It's just something that I find fascinating. Okay, but um, is Harvey like people being able to see Harvey is mostly with um, Chumley? Yeah, but I mean, even before that, there's the thing with Wilson reading the dictionary. He's looking yeah. up the word puka, and he says, uh, "Oh, that's right. That's Harvey talking to him, isn't yeah, it?" Yeah, he says, "How are you, Mister Wilson?" <laughs> Mr. Is how Wilson. because you know a, a a fairy spirit in animal form, um, and then it ends. The definition yeah. that he reads in the dictionary says, yeah. "How are you, Mister Wilson?" It's like, who in the encyclopedia wants to know? Uh, I, I find that character <laughs> it's more, really funny. Yeah. It's more, it seems like um, it, it's more prominent though with Dr. Chumley because he's oh, yeah, sort of absolutely. been touched by Harvey in a way. I think you, you can see him when your, your eyes have really been opened yeah. to his power and what he, what the kind of power that he gives to Elwood, I think to do what he does. And the way it happens is the way we hear the description of how it happens. Yeah. We don't actually see it because we, we classic, hear. Classic like stage play thing. Where you get the... Right. <laughs> you hear Elwood tell the story. You know, yeah. we had some drinks and the evening wore on, mm-hmm. which that's a lovely phrase, isn't it? With your permission, I'd like to say it again. And he just sort of smacks his lips. The evening wore on. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why Jimmy Stewart is. I'm probably in my top five favorite actors. Of How many all times time. have we I, talked about him already? I know. I just the and the thing is, yes, he had sort of the affectations of of that period of actor, but the choices he made are so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, again, you could just watch him just think, and you know what he's thinking yep. is one of those. Act, rare actors that could do that and I just uh, just love 
ever. And this is a prime example of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, Dr. Chumley, you know, just and then next time we see Dr. Chumley, he's sort of freaked out, I think, by the idea that now he can see Harvey. Right. Because, I mean, this is a psychiatrist, <laughs> yeah. right? When he he's comes supposed... back to the hospital, he says, like, uh, didn't someone ask him, like, um, like, who are you looking for? He's like, I won't. I won't say because he <laughs> right. he won't admit that he can see Harvey. That scene when he comes back and he and Elwood have that conversation in his office <laughs> is like my other favorite. Um, prob- actually, this is probably, no, this is probably my favorite um, thing that Elwood says about Harvey being able to stop clocks. Yeah. Like, I think that is such a beautifully written thing too. Mm. Um, You'd go to Akron. <laughs> well, no. Well, just before that, when he's just yeah, talking about, um, he's saying, "Well, you don't really get what he's what he means by that at first, but when he, when he explains it, where it's like you can, Harvey can look at you and he can stop your clock, and you can go anywhere you like and with anyone you like and stay as long as you like, and when you get back, not one minute will have ticked by, and it's like that's kind of beautiful, and that's kind of like." something that you it, you you feel it when something like that happens like when you go on a great vacation or when you even just like have a great yeah. conversation with somebody you know and you just like it, it's such a good feeling and like i i totally I, I just meant i just mean that like i totally understood what he meant when he like had, went that through that whole description and i loved that and i loved the way that that was um that's great writing to me you know i was talking about yeah. You know, he can stop your clock. It's like, that's right. that's kind of perfect. <laughs> Just appreciating some great writing. <laughs> right. And it's beautiful the yeah. way it's staged, too, because, you know, uh, you have Chumley, you know, sitting, laying down on the psychiatrist's yeah. couch. <laughs> right. And you have Elwood, you know, sitting like this in the psychiatrist's position. So, I mean, what I was going to say, I guess, was that Chumley he's afraid to say that he's seeing anything because his whole professional life, he has, he basically feels that if you see something that's not there, you're crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's, (laughs) that's the implication. Right. Um, so to have the doctor be quote unquote sick is kind of funny and, um, part of Mm. the sort of beauty of the sort of Chumley Harvey relationship, Elwood relationship that happens primarily in the second half of the movie. I just really love. There's another like kind of line that um, touches on that too, between Myrtle May and Wilson when she's making him an egg and onion sandwich. What? (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Have an egg and onion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but when she um, they're so El- cute though it's i know <laughs> it's so funny the way he's like he's absolutely horrible to vita but then as soon as myrtle may lays eyes on him she's like smitten for some reason she's like oh it, i want that so funny man <laughs> it's so funny but it's in it's in another one of those parts where it's like you know people vita's gone upstairs elwood comes in again with the painting or whatever he's looking for harvey and myrtle may comes out and because she because he says like harvey harvey where are you and she says something about how i thought i was hearing voices and wilson mm-hmm. you see wilson has that line where he's like voices you're hearing voices 
it's another one of those things like you you shouldn't be that's not a good thing it's another kind of comment on on mental health you know you shouldn't be hearing voices obviously but (laughs) it's just another stigmatization line it really is and Mm. one of the things i also think is funny chumley explicitly sees harvey and kind of freaks out about it Mm. vita has a few situations where she just kind of takes him for real without really thinking about it. And it's really yeah, funny. Just, like the whole thing yeah. there's a, that we should check in the bathtub. There's a stranger in the bathtub. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that yeah. whole thing is so funny. And just her exchanges where she just kind of takes Harvey for fact and then she catches herself and goes, oh, no, yeah. wait a minute, you know, and then is she, she, just, she yeah. even says, you know, so we've, uh, um, you know, I, I sometimes I think I've even I'm even seeing that big white rabbit. Yeah, is, is she taking him for fact because it's part of Elwood's life, or has she actually seen him before herself, or she right. just won't admit it? You know, that's what I kind of wonder too about her. Not maybe yeah. not so much Myrtle May, but I think probably Vita has maybe seen him before. Well, I she loves her brother. And it's clear that she does. And it's, mm-hmm. she really does want what's best for him. And she thinks that what's best for him is, you know, taking care of all the business. But, you know, someone's taking care of it. I mean, it's not, doesn't seem to be that, they're not getting evicted or anything like that. You know, everyone seems to be okay. She's more concerned, though, about the way society views them she's very concerned about appearances but at the same time she loves how how kind and generous he is Mm -hmm. and all of those things that are essentially he's become because of harvey and maybe she sort of refuses to remember the way he was before that uh it's hard to say because like i said we don't really get a lot of insight into what he was like before was he less happy, more down, more negative before? Well, one I of wonder. his lines in the bar that I love is, uh, I wrestled with reality for 35 years, Doctor, and I'm happy to say <laughs> yeah. I finally won out over it. <laughs> That's a great line. And, you know, the, know. And the for years I was smart, I recommend pleasant line, I think is really special, too. Um, and these are all, as I understand, I mean, they basically took Mary Chase's play and just reformatted it into screenplay form, you know, so. Sounds like it. Those those words are all hers. And, and, and I just love that. She's good. Uh, yeah. Well, and one of my favorites um, from him, too, again, just kind of describing who he is and his new outlook on life, because... Um, I was reading um, something that uh, I was reading an article that somebody wrote about how it's how this movie is a positive portrayal of mental illness where um, we see it now. It's 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 better now because we see it as not something that needs to be fixed, but just something that you need to identify so that you can deal with yourself Mm -hmm. in the world better. Right. Which makes sense. And like some people just see things differently. And here, that's what I think. Elwood just kind of sees the world in in a different way than everybody else. And uh, I like his line. I always have a wonderful time wherever I am, whoever I'm with, you know, and that because that something like that just kind of makes you think like, 
okay, then why would we want to change somebody like this? Right. <laughs> why does this? Why does somebody like that really need fixing? Right, and it's it's like, okay, I have a couple of children who are on the spectrum, and there are challenges to that. There, but this whole movement that was going on it's it's less now but you know i remember like autism speaks and things like that where Mm -hmm. it was like there's something wrong with this person they're being tormented by this thing that we don't understand you know what i mean yeah. Autism, really just, autism speaks works d- it, differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've done a, a lot of research on obviously, you know, having children who are on the spectrum and working with with a lot of because we have a, a uh, autism program in our school. Um, so I work with a lot of kids who are on the spectrum and it really is a spectrum. I mean, it's there, yeah. but there, there are challenges to it. Yeah, of course. But um one of the things I learned was that the autism community considers the autism speaks thing to be a hate group. And it's like, <laughs> it's interesting I, because, you know, it's, it's the, and, and I'm looking at some of those videos, I was like, I can see why. And I never thought like the, and the whole symbol of the puzzle piece is considered really offensive uh-huh. because it's like, you're missing a piece. No, that's not no, what's going on. They, you know, the way that, my son and my daughter see the world is wholly unique. Yeah. And they're both incredibly intelligent. My daughter is extraordinarily sensitive and, and uh, empathetic in a way that might even make people uncomfortable. And the thing is, like, uh, in the Babadook, you know, the kid, you know, hitting the table. Why can't you just be normal? All that. I've felt that. I've said that. But then... You know, you get to different points in your life and you're like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. They're not broken. This is so yeah. all this anti-vaxxer shit about it causing autism and that being a problem and all these things like that. I'm just like, fuck you and fuck that. OK, sorry. <laughs> little passionate here, but it's, <laughs> but but they're not broken. No, I get it. Yeah, they're, they're not, not broken. broken. My children are not broken and I do not want them to be different than they are because they're special and they're unique. And my son, he is going into doing video game design. And I can just imagine awesome. the kinds of wild, interesting things he's going to come up with that I would never be able to come up with just because I don't see the world the same way. Mm-hmm. And how much would we lose without that in the world? How much uniqueness in the world would we lose? Yeah. 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 Just because people think and feel differently than what is quote unquote normal or what has been seen as normal yeah, yeah. for so long. And they just, it seems like they're, <laughs> it seems like your children are probably much happier than I've been <laughs> sometimes, you know, just yeah. having a, well, I mean, there are challenges that come along with there's, there's anxiety, for example, sure, I mean, there's severe like... anxiety and sometimes depression that goes along with it as well. I mean, the, the, so, I mean, there are, there are challenges on both sides. I'm not talking sides, about this, but, right? I don't know. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I but, don't want to say anything wrong, but. No, don't, don't, don't worry <laughs> about that. Don't worry about that. That's, but I, I just feel like. I mean, I, I probably am not saying everything right either. It doesn't, you know, that's not the point. I think, I think what what we're getting at is just what is the intent here is is 
a positivity. Mm. Uh, so, um, yeah, I just it's so that uh, that's something I didn't really think about in connection with this movie until you brought it up. But you're right. I mean, just this idea that someone because they have they're not because they are neurodivergent doesn't mean they are broken, you know, and yeah. I think that's the view that we've had of mental health for so long that it's difficult to overcome that even now. Um, so many years later. I think it's definitely gotten better and people yeah. are more willing to talk about it openly, which is definitely good. And there's absolutely some dated stuff in here that doesn't oh, work. Absolutely. But <laughs> that's course. to be expected. Okay? There's stuff it's in Drop Dead Fred too that I oh, think is, is, yeah. is outdated. As you're just kind of like, yikes. But you know, hey, that's, that's the time and that's learning as we go along. That's the right. whole point, right? And I can overlook that for and to mm-hmm. see the overall message that the movie is yeah. hitting at. In What's both the of intent? Both of exactly. The intent and the message behind it is more important than the terminology or right. things like that. Yeah. What about um, Kelly and Sanderson? I kind of love their little, re- little relationship. <laughs> Where he's kind of the dummy and can't see that she really likes him. I love when um, after Chumley like fires him and she's like, so what are you going to, you going to miss this place at all? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm going to miss all the patients and everything. She's just like, you idiot. He's such a bonehead. I know. know, She, but Elwood is so wonderful Mm because he's such a student of human nature and human interaction. That he sort of gently kind of nudges them together because part of it is because he come he sort of puts himself out there as being smitten with her. Why aren't you? You know <laughs> exactly. That's kind of the way he plays it, and it's just you know now, no, Miss Kelly, I, I don't I don't like to see I, you standing. Come, you know, I really <laughs> want to hold your hand. Or may I may I do that? I mean, just it's it's lovely and it's kind of like sneakily teaching him Sanderson like how he should be like talking to her and treating her because she obviously responds really well to Elwood because she's always uh, I love the way that people's faces just kind of light up after they might be a little put off by him at first as you are with anybody sometimes that's kind of like overly nice you know you kind of wonder what their intentions are you know that's just kind of how we are sometimes now we don't always like trust everybody but uh so there was always that but then he just like makes people melt <laughs> like instantly he really does. after a while i and love really, how he he asked her to dance really works on says, kelly yeah yeah he, 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 he asked her to dance no not, not with me, me. <laughs> with but perhaps uh dr sanderson might, might enjoy that it's just like how great but mm-hmm. but then part of me was like did he do that just so he could sneak out on him too? I, I, sure. I you know, I, <laughs> that's you know, true. Because he does sneak yeah. out the back door, but he doesn't try to escape either. So it's. Uh, I think he's I just—he's very—he's observant of of humans. He can read people so much better than they can read themselves. Yes, it seems like instantly he knows exactly what's going on with with people, like he does with Kelly and Sanderson. And then, yeah, he just again he. He wants the best for everybody. He wants everybody to be happy and to live up to their full potential. 
Yeah. Like, that's what he tries to, like, hammer home from, like, every single person that he meets, like, from the beginning. It, uh, like I said, just even, like, the little interactions that he has with people can really make your day. You know, like, conversation that he has with Mrs. Chumley. Something, it's something so, I don't remember what they talked about, but they just, it's a really pleasant, yeah. just, like, exchange of pleasantries you know and sometimes that can mean the world to somebody just to have a a nice conversation to be seen and to be heard by another person even if it's a complete stranger uh can again yeah mean the world and that's what elva does (laughs) it's almost like he it's almost like he's not even a person he's more just like a representation of something (laughs) yeah of of how to be a better human, you know, right. <laughs> is I think to to not be so afraid of appearances, you know, how, mm-hmm. you know, which I've always struggled with, of course, you know, oh, yeah. am I going to come off as some sort of jerk or something like that to this person? And it's like this movie kind of says, well, who cares? <laughs> you know, because some of them, sure you will, but. Like the guy, you know, here's one of my cards and he picks up the wrench, you know. <laughs> um, Henry, not Harvey. Henry. Right, right. And th- right. Harvey, Harvey, Henry. Henry, yeah. Henry Harvey. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, but but then there's those people that you could really have an effect on and might really enjoy having an interaction with. So those are the things that, you know, I constantly, I've struggled with that kind of thing my whole life, you know, just being concerned about, oh, I don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to talk to them kind of thing, you know, or what will they think of me, you know, or or whatever. Uh, Always afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yep. Yep. It's like, so that's why I said, hey, let's do a podcast because. (laughs) Where it's nothing but talking yeah and if we say the wrong thing hey we can edit that out there we go that's true right, yeah hell i do that with you still all the time like when we're yeah. best friends you know it's just yeah. that's just who i am yeah. <laughs> i'm always afraid of sounding dumb or looking dumb or feeling embarrassed we all i, th- I think you you and i have a lot in common on that front for sure yeah um so the way this closes i think is beautiful too and also you know there's wonderful little interactions like with the guy that opens the gate yeah you know uh, i his name is like he's really, got a weird name he's got real crazy name. i wrote Nasser it down <laughs> um but i oh mr shermel pletzer <laughs> which i i think is great but um th- there's this uh the dr chumley you know back at the, you know um I've been spending my life among fly specks while miracles have been leaning on lampposts on 18th and Fairfax. And he asks... Miracle is a good word. Miracle is a good word. And because it's a transformative thing, you know, for Elwood, for Chumley, I think for Vita. When Vita's like, no, don't give him the serum. And, you know, that's that's like, because I want Elwood the way he is. He's a beautiful yeah. human being this way. Where yeah. maybe he's not going to be if he gets this serum. He's not hurting anybody. Yeah. It's not for his own protection. It's not for anyone else's protection. It's just so he can be a regular human being. Stinker. But I love how Chumley asks if he can have Harvey. 
I know. <laughs> and the well, the Harvey can do whatever he likes, and you know, you just see the how beautifully, you know, how how happy it makes Chumley, but how sad it makes Elwood. But at the same time, part of this is my theory. I don't know. I don't know. Chumley perhaps still has Harvey, but also mm-hmm. Harvey comes back. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And of course, what a great closing line. Well, thank you, Harvey. I prefer you too. So it's also like about friendship. He says Harvey is his best friend. So there was, um, yeah. it's also about you know, the endurance of friendship too yeah. and loyalty and loving friendship like the he and Harvey have. But I had the same feeling too. It was like maybe like that Harvey was something that since he is a lot of people could see at the same time since he's quote unquote imaginary yeah right (laughs) he doesn't have him once yeah Yeah. he can always be with you when you need him (laughs) yeah kind of thing and and, i mean whether harvey is really a puka you know like that's the spiritual realm thing or if he's in the minds of these characters it it's not really it doesn't really matter that it doesn't much. matter no you know it's real to them and he um betters all of them you know yeah just in their interactions with other humans and that's those are the things that matter more right i mean it's not the pursuit of money or intelligence or fame or any of these things it's the interactions you have with people that really matter and really last and I think that's a beautiful message. Well, what's another great like um, moment? I like I like here at the end too when um, they're all leaving and Elwood. Mm-hmm. I don't know who he says it to first, but he, he says like to Kelly and Sanderson, like you guys make a great couple, and so do you. You know, to Myrtle yeah. May and Wilson. So it's yeah. like we found love at the end of this, and that's a beautiful thing too. <laughs> that and that's what came of this is this more sort of human connection Hmm. you know i i think that's probably what it's really trying to say is that human connections are more important than any of those other pursuits those are the things that last and matter and um you don't know the impact you're going to have on someone even in one meeting with them exactly so elwood could have i mean the way his Interaction with Mr. Meagles, for example. You just kind of come in and out of each other's lives. Because Meagles goes to jail. But he comes back and he has this this positive experience. It's kind of a beautiful story, is it not? It it really (laughs) is. It really is. It's actually getting to me a lot more now talking about it than it did when I watched it. Well, I mean, this conversation really unlocked some things for me, uh, just from what you were saying. um, So... Yeah, I I just it's a lovely movie. I I never get tired of it. I'm always sort of swept in by it every time I watch it, which has been a fair amount. I think it's gonna be. I'll probably be watching this one again. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's really wonderful. Well, and then when we get into Drop Dead Fred, I think it's kind of the same thing going on here, where there's like, um, I know you said. You first watched it. This is something that I grew up with, so I was totally used to. Um, oh God, I'm gonna say his name wrong. Rick Rick Mahal. 
Uh, I thought it was male. Uh, either way. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was going to look it up, and I, yeah. I totally didn't know. I screwed the pooch on that. But, yeah, his his performance is is a little bit wild, and it's out there, and it's big and everything. And so that's that something that I grew up with, and I, I understand how it might be a little bit much to deal with when, when you're older. But I think well, it's beneath... Not, it's... Not so much being older, it's being around, you know, young children all day, every day, you know, for eight months out of the year. Sure. And, you know, or, or more, you know, more closer to 10. You know, it's, so it's it's like, yeah, it, it, it was a lot at first. I was like, oh my, okay, okay. I was having a little bit of a, whew. You know, right. had <laughs> had a fan. The, so I took a but break. I, I took a break. I came back to it after a couple of days, and and it was like, okay, I, I'm I'm good. I'm good. But again, uh, it's another one of those where like kind of beneath all that, beneath all the the zaniness of like mm-hmm. their their relationship and the things they do and sinking yeah. houseboats and all that kind of thing. The most important thing I think is kind of the message of the movie and like what the imaginary friend represents and does for yeah. the the person yeah well i mean this is uh, much more than harvey i think a reflection of the main character it, it, her her imaginary friend is a reflection of a piece of her um her her wild side her mischievous side those things that you know her mother's always telling her to clamp down on and not mm-hmm. and get rid of and you you can't have this and um, I, I find that fascinating. And, and as the layers peeled back, I was like, oh, wow, there's something really psychological and kind of deep going on. I think especially with her father. I, I, I think there's yeah. something there. And so that, that I think is worth discussing. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, too. Okay, I didn't think too much about, about yeah, that. I, mean, I wonder what you mean. But okay. I, what I just kind of like about this movie is just the the take that they have on just what an imaginary friend's purpose is. Right. It's not just so like a little kid can have someone to play with. It's it's a it's a part of them that helps them come out of their shell, mm-hmm. and it it's the person that can stand up for them when they need to and can help them like become like who they really want to be. That's kind of what it's about. Like be who you want to be. Like, don't you ever be like her. I I love the moments as, as wild as his performance again, like I said, those moments where he gets very serious with Elizabeth, whether she's a child or an adult is it's still pretty meaningful to me because the purpose of the imaginary friend in this is not, just to get them into trouble and to have fun and play games, but it's right. to help them through something. Right. And that's why he comes back. Like um, she had him as a child. And then we see at the beginning when she's an adult now, um, the main character, Elizabeth played by the wonderful Phoebe Cates, <laughs> who's still so cute and adorable. In this movie, we have, we watch her in this first part of the movie, lose everything. Mm-hmm. Her yeah. husband who she needed to lose, anyway because anyway, he's, he's uh, a, a horrible yeah. he's a horrible person tim matheson yeah. is great at being a jerk though yeah um and then she goes and she her car gets stolen and then she loses her job and so she's as he says is like you're all alone and unhappy so i had to come back right so 
so I just kind of love that they made the imaginary friend actually represent something like more meaningful than just being you know a friend to play with like when you're a kid right it's actually well, something that could be psychologically helpful yeah and there's a, a line or there's a line early in the movie where it says he always stood up for me and the response is mm-hmm. well that's what friends are for even imaginary ones was that mickey yeah. who said that or is that carrie uh, fisher's character i can't remember but I remember now. yeah but but it was just like now mickey is an interesting character to me too <laughs> Because he kind of encourages that side yeah. of her. And he's willing to embarrass himself or, for her, too. Mm-hmm. Which I think is... is He has sort of a, an element of Fred, you know, in him. Uh, and I think he passes it along to his to Natalie, as we see in the his end. Daughter, his daughter. His sure. daughter, <laughs> you know. I mean, so I think there are things like that going on as well. Or he's one of the ones... Like in Harvey, that would accept Elwood, you know, yeah. as, as he is. He, like he accepts her. He's like, I never. Everyone else thought you were like you were a handful, and that you mm-hmm. were just. I, but I loved that part of you. I thought that was the best part of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. That's another thing about being seen. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. You know that they they kind of have these grown up things in this movie. Like there's, um, you know, the whole discussion of divorce is sort of prevalent throughout the movie in different ways uh guys mm-hmm. i mean obviously she's going to be going through one and she's af- terrified of that idea um her mom went through one mickey has just been through one and mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of and you think about this 1991 i mean that's that's a key time for you know like the divorce rate at being at its highest you know was in the late 80s early 90s i mean so it's just like a lot of kids dealing with this and a lot of grown-up kids dealing with this you know you know grown-up children of divorce so i think that there's a lot a lot of going on in this that, that along those lines and then fred is just sort of like this element of chaos thrown into this adult story you know (laughs) this sort of it's half coming of age story half you know this grown-up trying to deal with very serious matter in her life and then it's driven into this nutty realm by drop dead fred teaching her to take control of her life exactly let other people control her and he's kind of like, you know, he's trapped in the jack-in-the-box. And all I thought was, he's the genie in the bottle. <laughs> you know, and she lets him out. And, you know, that, that that chaos agent, you know, comes back into her life. And again, like you're saying, you know, awakens that spark in her that I, has obviously been extinguished. Watching this again, I, I wonder if it was... Mickey, because she runs into Mickey like after she's mm-hmm. been fired, and like they were old friends when they were kids. So he remembers uh, Drop Dead Fred. I wonder if it was him mentioning Drop yeah. Dead Fred, that putting that in her mind, that sort of made her in a way bring him back too. Because I I doubt yeah. like because they this movie also kind of treats imaginary friends as if there's like this little coalition of them or whatever right. there's like a, there's a ton of imaginary friends in the doctor's <laughs> office so 
you know that they probably they're like they're like fairy godmothers pretty much like you know visiting all the children that that need them you know throughout the world is what you kind of get so i don't think he's been like trapped in the -the jack-in-the-box like it's just it that in her story he is yeah which is great i kind of love that i love i kind of love there's like this little like mythology behind that too because i think at the i think at the end too when we see that drop dead fred is now with uh natalie mickey's Mm -hmm. daughter and elizabeth's gotten to the point where she can't see him anymore and he and he's talking to natalie and like talking about elizabeth but kind of pretending like that he doesn't know Know her. her yeah i don't think that's really the case i think it's just because that he's He's not there for her anymore. He's there for Natalie. Yeah. You know, I kind of get that feeling. I, I like yeah. that idea behind the this mythology of imaginary friends in this movie. <laughs> I, I love that really part, too. I thought that was really funny <laughs> and really clever. There's also uh, a sense that psychologists and medication are bad. I was right. like, <laughs> part, part of me wondered, okay, now, I, I, I don't know. It's like, the thought entered my mind. Was this written by a Scientologist? <laughs> uh, because they are the villains uh, in this movie. Um, sure. But, you know, I mean, that's... But you kind of get what they're saying, that it's, it's a suppression of personality right. that, they're, that, that they're going for and that, you know, they, they take... If he, she takes these pills, don't take the green ones. Don't let her take the green ones because those are kill the, you. Yeah, <laughs> those are the pills. You know, because her part of her Fred brings out that part of her personality. Yeah, and like that that it will not only kill him but kill a part of her as well. That's right. kind of what it's saying. That's the more important element, you know, because yeah, I really do think, in a sense at least, Drop Dead Fred is a figment of her imagination, and. It's because it's part of her. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is part of her. And so, whereas in Harvey, they they leave that really open, <laughs> you know. Um, here, there's a sense that maybe, probably not, you know, because it really does talk about, hey, this is, this is the spark. This is the element of her life that in order for her to be a whole person, she really needs all of it. And essentially her mother just sort of sucked that out of her, Uh. you know, all these years. And Charles, I think, did too. And um, just suppressed it to the point of just it being almost extinguished. And also I think her father no longer being in the picture was a piece of that too. Yeah, she definitely lost... A part of herself when he left too because he was like the one yeah. person that was in her corner that's right not enough as he probably should have been <laughs> right well i mean he leaves but, and that's that's yeah. part of the problem but some of the things that are interesting i think about the father and fred is well they're both english because mm-hmm. and no right one old. else in the movie is yeah, yeah. you know um, I didn't think about that. That's true. Yeah. He, he sort of, he like that part where he drops the cereal uh-huh. and it just kind of flies all over the place, you know, sort of has that element uh, of, you know, causing a mess, you know, that is that the mother is so against. Right. Mm. Um, but then ask the things 
asks the questions. You know, he's really open to hearing about Fred. You know, it's like, why is he called Drop Dead Fred? Because that's his name. That's his name. And, and saying, standing up for, to, standing up to the the mom and saying, you know, hey, she's just bitch. a kid. You know, mega bitch, right? <laughs> she's she's just a kid. Why yeah. are you doing this? Um, then he refuses to tape Fred into the Jack in the Box, which is a symbolic He's, action, yeah. but of course, but. He's like, I'm not going to do it. It's not right. It's not right. And then she says, uh, oh, uh, sorry, that, that was something else. But when Fred went away, and who else went away? Her father. So Fred has also got an element of yeah. father figure type of thing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And and so, because her line is, you know, when when he went away, all of the life, and spirit, and he finishes and all the Fred. <laughs> the Fred. Yeah, I love you know, that. That's a great moment. Went out of me, and and that is just like that's where the movie really, really won me over. This is like this is this was where it became a big surprise because I mean before that mm-hmm. it's like there's some things that I caught that I caught on to that are kind of funny like Mega Bitch. I think that the mom reminds me so much of the mother in Nightmare on Elm Street three. Kristen's yeah. mom on delay and all that stuff. I had to look up to see if they were the same actor and they're not, but it was just like, it was just, maybe it's the new line of it all, you know, but I was like, I actually wrote that as a, as a note because she just made me think of Kristen's mom so much, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was funny. The um, mother is, <laughs> Mother, you can see, like again, like right from the beginning, just um, what Elizabeth had to deal with. Yeah, growing up with her as an adult, you see it because she still has that hold over her. Yeah, um, the way that the mother shows up after you know she's heard that she and her husband split, and you're like, you're coming home with me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the way that Elizabeth always has to answer, you know, with yes, mother, like who who calls their mom mother <laughs> like that's when they're you know way too formal you know they're right 20 late 20s 30s whatever she's supposed yeah. to be in this yeah yes mother thank you mother um you can just uh, uh, and going back to those uh flashbacks which is even more uh sad to watch because the the girl that plays little elizabeth is like the cutest little thing oh she's yeah got the, cu- the cutest little voice yeah. you know um the mother is r- it, it was hard to see this as a watching this as a child. Like I always knew, like this was this was a horrible mother and ever, but she's abusive. Yeah, she <laughs> she's is. Psycholo- she's psychologically abusive, you know, to her child, and she says the most horrible things. Like you really get like how she feels about her daughter. Her daughter is not her daughter. Her daughter is an accessory, a thing she had to put up with. I had yeah. you just to try and save my marriage. I don't think I love you as much as I used to. Like Mm -hmm. who even thinks about like saying that kind of thing to, to their child. Yeah. Your child. Yeah. It occurred to me. It's so much more, it's just so much more insidious than I ever like could see before. Like watching this when I was a kid, obviously (laughs) I was just watching it for the fun parts, but yeah. It, 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 It occurred to me though, while watching this, that, this movie is maybe it's because of the new line at the beginning 
and you know things like that it occurred to me that this is kind of the comedy version of a nightmare on elm street with the mother to some extent being like the cruel side of freddy krueger and drop dead fred being the playful side of freddy krueger <laughs> okay <laughs> and here's what there are a couple of things say the magic words and the magic words are i'm not afraid of I'm afraid you afraid of you <laughs> sure you know, and then at the end, when she's walking out the door, you and and she like refuses to look back. She turns her back on. She her mom. turns her back on her mom. <laughs> I was just like, and it was just like, okay, I uh, there's there's a few similarities that just loud... in the thematic senses of it. But she turns yeah. around and so when she says, you know. I actually find that last scene really moving because she's she's saying all these things to try and scare her to stay. And then she stops and says, but how she really feels what she really feels, which is, but I'll be lonely. But it's not a lonely in that, like, oh, I really love you. And I really want you around. It's like you're a person that I have that I, I know I can control and manipulate. And yeah, that's what I, I think it is. Yeah, That's I think why... you're probably right, but at the same time, it's I, I really think she's sincere that you know she will really miss in her, her way. Yeah, in her way. I don't think she actually loves her though. Well, and the, <laughs> right, yeah. But I think then, she and Charles treat her the same way. Oh, Charles, like Charles shit, keeps yeah. coming. Charles keeps coming back to Elizabeth. When um, Annabella, Bridget Fonda, by the way, hello. Right, an uncredited Bridget Fonda. <laughs> I totally forgot about that yeah. she was uh, Annabella. I think my line was, holy shit, it's Bridget Fonda. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <Right, no. laughs> when, when he loses her, like that conversation, I, I'm supposing that they, they break up on the phone. Like he goes back to Elizabeth because, she, again, he can control her. Yep. And he can use her to make food for him and have sex with him and you know yeah. <laughs> all the things that he needs and wants and yeah i think that her mom is kind of the same way and that's what she's got to break out of at the end i love that whole yeah that is very nightmare on elm street that whole sequence well, where he kind of goes into her the, her imagination or yeah. her, her mind or whatever wherever world they're going into is very nightmare on elm street like yeah, where she goes and sort of deals where Tim Burton yeah. yeah look to it but yeah uh -huh. she has to go and defeat her demons yeah. and like her actual demons and it, she does it in a very like kind of playful way that you would like in a, a child's imagination but there's also a lot of deep meaning in that too especially when she uh walks into the room and she sees her younger self like taped up in the bed the same way right. that Fred was taped up in the yep. Jack in the Box. Yep. And she lets her out. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, this movie is a lot kind of smarter than I I remember it. So yeah. I, I'm glad it still had the same effect because I, I, I see now that, like, this isn't as well regarded uh, as a movie, like, or not as high rated no. on, like, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, if that actually oh, means the anything. critical score is but, abysmal for this movie, yeah. But are they just looking at the fantastical elements and not, I think, what yeah. the movie is actually trying to say? Because I, honestly, watching this now, I think it's actually doing something kind of profound. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought, too, because uh, uh, admittedly, like, the first half of this, I was like, oh, boy. 
I, I don't know. And um, I think maybe a lot of critics got through the first half and just kind of said, uh, I've made my made up my mind, started writing the article in their mind, sure. you know, how they were going to criticize the film. But, well, that's all set up for where this is going and what it's really trying to say, which is deeply moving and very profound and intelligent. It's not. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think it's psychologically rich. I mean, I'm I'm no psych major or anything like that, but I found it just well made and just just a well told story too. You know, mm-hmm. and Fred kind of mellows out towards the end. You know, and that whole thing where he's guiding her through that sort of her own psyche mm-hmm. is really great. I mean, as from a performance standpoint, writing standpoint, everything, it's really good how um, that's all handled. And I don't know. But I do think that's probably I could see why critics don't like this movie or wouldn't like this movie. But you're missing the point. You know, I I know. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do think some of the stuff with Fred is is a lot of fun. Just all the um, hijinks, you know, when he's. uh, when she's having lunch with Mickey, the way yeah. that uh, Phoebe Keats can play that too is, is really funny and really good. The way where she's pouring the glass the, on yeah, herself, pouring the water and, out, or trying yeah. to hold the uh, the plate down. And, yeah, keeps throwing or, her hand up in the air and stuff. It's really funny. Beating the the violinist with her purse. And, right. <laughs> Sinking uh, Carrie Fisher, by the way, is Carrie uh, Fisher. Yeah, in this, this movie is, as her friend know. Janie. Uh, Janie is really great too because I, I like her as a character because she's you can tell she's somebody that Elizabeth can go to that's yeah kind of automatically like believes her or like doesn't or like believes her outlook like what she's thinking about like what her situation is like she's willing sure. to believe it and right. I, I like that about that character. Well, and Carrie Fisher in her, she did a lot of supporting comedic roles around this time. Okay, so she did, of course, uh, When Harry Met Sally in the Burbs as well, right Mm -hmm. around this time. And she's really, really funny. She's... Yes. I mean, and I'm... I'm so I so wish that she had been able to maybe break out of the Star Wars mold a little earlier. She's so um, good, and because she really was such a talented comedian, mm-hmm. and that came through a lot in her writing. She's very funny in her writing, and mm-hmm. so I'm I'm glad that she at least we at least have some of these performances of her doing this because they're so good. And I, I mean, she's so she's only in this for a little bit, but I love, you know, her whole affair with that guy. <laughs> the one stuff I get a month when Murray's it, wife is out of town. Right. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And living on a houseboat and all that. It's, yeah. it's great. It's so funny. I love the and, image. I, I will always love the image of her power walking while smoking. <laughs> right. That's a great one. And again, I guess I I thought this movie was going to be like a quote unquote kid movie, but there's so much in this that is not mm-hmm. kid movie stuff. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. sort of sexual suggestion, at least, and stuff. It's no not graphic, but there's a lot going on. Um, and Yeah, there's a lot of. Yeah, I mean, he's sexual look- innuendo. Yeah, I watch mostly when I watched this when I was a kid. It again was like the TV version, so oh, okay. a lot of a, a lot of this was still in there and everything. But I didn't 
I didn't, didn't quite <laughs> get it at the time, um, or it was toned down a little bit. Well, and this is, but um, it's still. But I mean, we're dealing yeah. with this is a grown-up story, so yeah. I mean, you can't just not. Uh, I don't That's know. That's right. But it is kind of seen as a. It's one of those movies. It's one of those weird movies from this time period. It reminds me a lot of like Problem Child. Sure. It's just like those weird, irreverent comedies that it's like you don't really you can't put them yeah. in a specific box of this like is, who it's for or what. This it, is the yeah. height of New Line being like, "Fuck it, let's just do it," <laughs> sure. you know. And some of them were hits, and a lot of them were misses at the box office, at least. But uh, they were daring. And that was what was so great about them, you know, and I miss that, you know, yeah. now that they're under this big corporate umbrella of time and Time Warner and Discovery, whatever the hell it is now, where everything is, all the life is just, just like this message of this movie, all the <laughs> life has been sucked out of these great maverick companies, yeah. you know, like Bob Shea, say what you will about Bob Shea, the guy took risks, you know. Yeah, he put that damn ending on the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. But <laughs> you know what? That movie exists because Bob Shea took a chance on Wes Craven when no one else would. You know, I mean, so there's lots of lots to be said about. And, you know, hey, Lord of the Rings, too. That was a huge risk. I mean, you hire the director of Brain Dead to make a multi-million, I mean, hugely expensive undertaking like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And like, yeah, sure, go for it. I mean, come on. Nobody does that anymore. So We don't get movies really like Drop Dead Fred anymore. <laughs> no, and we don't get movies that have that sort of maverick sensibility that have a budget behind them. Everything needs to be a sure thing or it gets a tax write-off that never so it never sees the light of day. That's what Warner Brothers does now, apparently. And it makes me sad. And I get very, very worked up about that, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, I don't even know that I had anything more to say like that. That's really what I, I, I see and I, I feel from this movie now is... Well, there's what one more... already said... Well, there's one more sequence I'd really like to talk about, though, and that is where she willingly tries to suppress Fred Mm -hmm. when she starts when she's back with Charles and she's taken the green pills to make him go away. I think that is heavy stuff right there. I mean, that's um, she is willing to turn just blind herself to how she's being treated by this man just because She's not, I guess, like her mother. She's not lonely because she's with this guy. Yeah. And um, he well, offers she kinda security. Says the same thing. And, yeah. yeah. Well, she says the same thing about Charles, why she wants to go back with him. It's like She says she doesn't want to be alone. She doesn't know how to be alone, I think, yep. is the thing. She's always had somebody over her. You know, telling her what was right, how to think and what to do and how to act. You know, first her mother yeah. and then Charles. So she doesn't know how to be without another person. Well, and she's trying to convince yeah. herself that she's happy uh-huh. being back with Charles. Yeah. But what does Fred say is like, you're not happy because I'm still here. I'm still here. That's right. That, that's <laughs> if she was such truly, an important moment. Yeah. If she was truly happy, she wouldn't need Fred anymore. And then Charlie's got that weird line before that where he says... You need me to protect you from men like me. 
red flag. I mean, uh, all the weird like <laughs> gaslighting he does. Yeah, like, the way that you you see Fred kind of in the background listening, like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's again, that's her inner voice mm-hmm. that knows that mm-hmm. this is wrong, that it that it's not the right fit, and then you know whether or, it's with uh yeah. mickey or not that's not the point i mean i think they they obviously have a potential but i don't think that they're necessarily shown at the ending as being together you know they're maybe, maybe just, just two good friends. friends who just sort of are kindred spirits karen just i was gonna say the same thing yeah yeah <laughs> i swear like tim matheson being really good at just being a jerk that the whole uh-huh. part where they're making out and he's he says Annabella and then he's he's trying to convince her that right. it's okay he's like isn't it better that I said oh, oh Annabella when I was with you than if I said oh Lizzie when I was with her and you can see her brain going okay <laughs> <laughs> like it, being yeah. confused at first but it, that's just yeah. what makes you feel like so sorry for this character, like as someone who ha- has never been given the opportunity to, except with Fred, mm-hmm. never been given the opportunity to be herself or think for herself. Right. That's what she's really trying to break free of, you know, in this movie. That's what she needs Fred for. Yeah, that is yeah. a really, and the, I love the the visual representation that they do where not only does his face look sickly the like the more pills she takes but his costume kind of gets yeah. a fades and gets a little more degraded because yeah. he's fading away oh it's kind of sad to watch <laughs> because again like the same as with Harvey and Elwood like mm-hmm. she says it too i think she's like he's my best friend like kind of <laughs> right <laughs> even though he like ruins my life and everything but he really is her best friend <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love that idea of the the spark that he gives. And that, I think, mm-hmm. is really explored beautifully in the Pixar movie Soul from a couple of years ago. I went and saw this again recently, and uh, in the theater, there was a, finally a theatrical release of it. And, man, uh, just really moved me again, and... I. So that I guess we we don't do recommendations all that often, but I think that would be kind oh, yeah. of a kind of a great thing to to think about in conjunction with both these movies is the idea of um, you know what makes you you, and it's not just something you're good at; it's something else, something that just sort of sets you alight, you know, that gives you joy or whatever. I I think it's I don't know. It's lovely like movie. So um, I like that. I really need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think you'd like. I I liked it more even this second time, and it's it's just a nice movie. Both of but, these are very nice movies. That's what I kind of had that feeling after watching both of them together. I was like, those are just very nice, like sweet, heartwarming. Yeah, they're yeah. they're dealing with uh, some serious stuff, but at their core, and like what you really get from it is something kind of warm and, and hopeful and they're very good and, natured. And nice. yeah good natured yeah that's a good word yeah and i mean to me it's and i i pointing my finger at myself a little bit to hate either of these movies for being so good natured <laughs> i mean that being the reason why you don't like them i was like wow i i kind of feel sad for someone who feels that way 
I mean, if you can dislike it for lots of reasons, either of them, but um, for them being sweet and good natured, I think is kind of like, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, that, that makes me a little sad. <laughs> You can cut all that out if you want to, because I don't think I it came out right. I didn't. But. I didn't hear any of that because you, you had oh, okay. a poor connection. Well, listen, <laughs> anyway, listen to it in the, in the <laughs> listen to it in the in the in the uh, in the final track. And <laughs> what did you what say? You no, I just <laughs> said that I feel sorry for anyone who hates either of these movies because they're sweet and good natured. Yeah, I just don't think. I think it's. Especially with Drop Dead Fred, it's kind of easy to only focus on the the parts that may be, honestly, yes, kind of maybe kind of annoying to watch sure. when you're a kid. I grew up with and this I felt kid. That. I watched this I when I was a kid. Yeah, first, I know, yeah. Uh-huh. and I I understood. I just didn't. I didn't have that because, like I said, I've grown up with this. But I, but I know that you were smart enough to be able to look look past that to see <laughs> at least get yeah. what what the core of the movie really was. Well, I knew I was going to, it's like, I have to watch it all the way through. There's just no <laughs> option because we're going to talk about it. And I'm so glad I did. This actually ended up being, along with The Grey, frankly, one of the bigger surprises of the year for me. Um, I mean, not the calendar year. It's only January, or it's only the first. Second. February. Second day of <laughs> February here, you know, so the year. But, you know, of just a while, you know. Mm. So just big surprises for me. Um, Good. I'm glad. Yeah. So this was a lot of fun. I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I bought it. I, I, I grabbed the Vinegar Syndrome uh, yeah. D, uh, Blu-ray of it. I was so um, excited when I saw that. I was because yeah. I, I hadn't seen it in years when that was announced, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I used to love this movie. Yeah. And still do. Still do. Yeah, it's a surprising um, sort of addition to something like Vinegar Syndrome. They branched yeah. out quite a bit though in recent years, so it's fun to see. Uh, see those things coming out yeah definitely what do we got going on next time well next time we are entering into oscar season so we're going to spend march uh talking about a couple of oscar contenders so the first episode is going to be oscar best picture winners our favorites yeah our some of our favorites from that and or two of our favorites because frankly there were a few best picture winners not a, not as many as i would have thought no. but there there were several i mean a handful that i that i was like i'd love to talk about any of these and then um the second episode is going to be a lot more challenging because it's movies that are best picture losers so movies that were nominated for best picture but did not win the top prize we've talked about a lot of them already over the years like some of my favorite movies of all time exactly (laughs) mine too mine too uh so that's gonna be a little bit harder to pick but um, yeah for our best picture winners i think we have our choices uh did you want to go first sure um my pick is going to be another one from one of our faves alfred hitchcock 1940s rebecca and mine is from 20 years later from another one of our favorites, Billy Wilder, Fuck 1960s, yes. <laughs> The Apartment, probably yeah. the movie more responsible for making me fall in love with classic movies of a certain era than any other. 
I um, love the apartment. I haven't seen it in so long. I'm so excited to watch it again because I. It's a uh, work of absolute uh, genius. It's so, so lively and so wonderful. Anyway, very excited to rewatch. And the I hope apartment. you like Rebecca. <laughs> I I haven't seen Rebecca in a good 25 years, and at the time I, it was shaded. My enjoyment of it was shaded, and we'll talk about why that is. Uh, but I'm sure I'll enjoy it more this time. All so. right. We'll see. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> oh, I think I will. I think I will. It's a long due, overdue rewatch for me. Yes. But in the meantime, you can find me on the various socials at BrianWaves42. You can find me mostly on Instagram at Michelle Egan. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at MovieLifePod. Interact with us. Say hey. Tell us what movies you're watching. Give and us I know Twitter is all Twitter's but dead. Kinda, but it's kind of dead for me. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know we're if you're there and you still like to post every now and then, drop us a line. We'd be happy to interact. Absolutely. Uh, to be honest. Absolutely. Okay, so Michelle, I prefer you too. Aw. Thanks, bestie. <laughs> I right. prefer you too. <laughs> All right. I had to say it. And <laughs> All right. So um, anyway, what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.